Many of you know that I have this uh, preoccupation with, with animals, in particular animal videos and anything animals, zoos, whatever, and I uh, just follow a lot of them. And one of them that I ran across this week was about an elephant. His name was Raji. This is a picture of Raji right here. Raji is a pretty happy elephant in that picture, but I gotta tell you, it wasn't so for his whole life because you can see in this next picture that Raji, out of his 58 years of life, he was held captive for 50 of those years. He was held, and you can see in the next one here that he was shackled with uh, chains around his leg in just one place where he was unable to, to move and able to walk about. And he had a broken spirit, he had a withering body, and he really didn't know that life could be any different than that. The good news is that Raji was set free. He was rescued, and here's a picture of Raji living his life now. He is free where he can uh, roam a field and in wherever he wants to go, he can give himself a dust bath, because who doesn't love dust baths? And he can swim in his, favorite, in his pool with his favorite toy, his tire. And life is now good and sweet for Raji because he's been set free from those chains that were holding him. And I tell you this story because I think uh, many of us are like Raji. No, I'm not insulting you like you're an elephant or anything that you're that large and better cool at today's Easter buffet. But what I mean is by that is that many of us, I think, are like Raji and that we are being held by chains in a place. And that place that we're being held in is our past. And when I say chains, I don't mean physical chains, but I mean those emotional, those mental, those spiritual chains that keep us stuck to our past. The chains of guilt, the chains of shame, the chains of brokenness, the chains of anxiety, of anger, of bitterness, of unbelief, and there's any number of chains that I believe have a, a hold of us that can keep us stuck in our past, in a place where we are far from living the life of joy and the life of peace and the life of being fruitful and fulfilled that God has called us to. Can you identify with that picture this morning? Maybe you go, yeah, Pastor, that's me. That's my story. I'm stuck in my past. I, I am chained to this thing here in my past. Well, if that is you, I have good news for you this morning. And there's a picture that I want you to see. And that picture is of the empty tomb. I want you to see the empty tomb because when we see the empty tomb, what that says to us is because he lives, my past is gone. It says to us, because he lives, those chains that are holding me in my past, they are gone. Because he lives. Now let's go back maybe just uh, to that time where Jesus was, was crucified and he took upon himself all our sin. All our shame, all our guilt, all our brokenness, all of those chains Jesus took upon himself when he died on the cross. And then Jesus took with him all that stuff as they took him down off that cross, and then they laid him in the tomb. And there it looked like death had the victory. There it looked like all those chains were going to hold us forever. 
looked like they were, they were winning. But I want you to think about that, is that those chains were laid in there. Think about your chains going in there with, with Jesus at that time into that tomb. All right, so this section, when we're throwing all your chains into the tomb with Jesus, we're putting them in there. All that brokenness, that bitterness, that shame, that guilt, this section, we're taking all those chains, we're throwing them in that tomb with Jesus. This section, too, we're packing them in there. This is like a, a, a bad episode of Hoarders. This is Orchard Hill Hoarders. We are taking all of our chains, and we're throwing them all into this tomb with Jesus. There he is, because he took all those things upon him. We're laying him in the tomb, and we're trying to get ready to roll that stone in front of the tomb. And yeah, there's room for maybe one or two more. Let's get them in. This section's offering up a few more. We're stuffing them in, you know, like that closet you have in your house that you can just push the door shut and hope it doesn't pop back open. That's what we're doing to the tomb. We're taking all these chains that we have that are holding us, that Satan wants to use to keep us defeated, to keep us discouraged, to keep us hopeless, to keep us stuck in our past. And we're putting them all in the tomb with Jesus. And there they sit for one day, for two days. It looks like Satan won. It looks like victory. It looks like we're stuck forever. It's like we're chained to these things. We can't get free. But on the third day, scriptures tell us the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. The power of God raised Jesus from the dead. And the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. And with it, Jesus took all of our chains. All of the chains from the past. All of those things that the enemy wants to use in your life to keep you from living the abundant life that Jesus promises. That's keeping you shackled there to your past. All of that is gone. In a moment like that, boom, God raised Jesus from the dead and all those chains are gone. And we got proof of that because it says on the very first day of the week an earthquake came and an angel rolled the tombstone away. Now that tombstone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out, right? It's not like Jesus was knocking on the sun. Hello, somebody, let me out of the tomb, I'm risen. No, the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. The stone was rolled away so that we could look in. We could look in, and when we looked in, we saw that the tomb is empty. And there was an angel sitting on the tomb, and the women are coming, they're looking for Jesus, and the angel is there, and he's like, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I don't know why the angel sounds a bit like Jack Nicholson, but he does. I don't know. It's just what came out. Now I gotta go with it. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And all of our stuff, all of it went with Jesus. It's gone. It's gone. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Do you remember that first sermon that Jesus gave when he was in the temple? He went in and he unrolled the scriptures. It was his turn to read, and he read from Isaiah 61, and he read these verses. God has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those chains. And he sent me to open the prison for those that are bound and stuck. Those chains. And Jesus read that, and then he looked people in the eye, and he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled. 
And that's what Jesus does. He took those chains and he set you free from those chains. And so I want you to see the empty tomb this morning and know that you have been set free from your past because he lives. The keepers told us that when, when Raji was set free, he actually cried. I, I've never seen an elephant cry, but apparently they can. And they said the tears came down his face because he was set free. And you know what? I hope this morning that some of you cry. I hope some of you cry tears of joy because you know that you have been set free from that past that has been holding you and plaguing you and keeping you from living that life that God has in store for you. That you would have those tears of joy because you have been set free. And people of God believe this good news. What, what the Son has set free, you are then free indeed. Period. Because we look and the tomb is empty. Because he lives, our past is gone. And I want to invite my friend John to come up here. Uh, this is John McCleary. And uh, I asked John to, to maybe just echo some of what I said this morning. Because I think John has had one who has lived in his life and uh, wrestled with his past. And as I got to know John and the joy in his heart and the love for the Lord, he's a guy who's been set free. And so I just asked John to share a bit of his story this morning. Good morning. Hi, my name is John McCleary, and I have been part of Orchard Hill for the past four years. I was born and raised in a suburb of New York City, where my younger years, where in my younger years, my only connection to God was going to church on holidays like Christmas and Easter. I was a shy, introverted boy with lots of energy, and I didn't do well in school. The result was that I always struggled to keep up with my classmates, and as early as the first grade, I was left back. Also, when I was nine, something that would change my life happened in the safety of my own home. I was molested. I never told anyone, and shortly after, I started running away from home. Then when I was 12, my father left and my parents got divorced. My father never once came to visit. He was just gone. As I tried to cope with life and loss, I became more and more withdrawn and I moved into the basement of my house and barely went to school. At that time, I also started using drugs. At age 12, I was already arrested for drug use. And by age 15, I quit school and got a job to help financially support my struggling family. It goes without saying that my yesterday continued to be a, com a complete downward cycle as I sought out drugs and alcohol and sex to medicate and drown out my emptiness and feelings of loss. I'm sad to say this life of partying and wild living continued into my first marriage. My ex-wife was from Michigan, and so we landed here in the Grand Rapids area. 
She was a believer and gave me a Bible. I, of course, would find the Bible on my nightstand and then put it in the bottom of the closet. She would then find it weeks later, only to place it back on the nightstand, where I then put it in the bottom drawer of the, my dresser, where she would find it and put it back on my nightstand. And so the game continued. Our home at this time was right across the street from a church. And to be honest, I found the people in that parking lot to be loud and annoying. But then on Easter Sunday of 1992, because she had to work, my wife asked me to take our girls to Easter Sunday service. Let me tell you, inside was not what I expected. People had their hands in the air. Some were crying, others were praying, but they were all genuinely reaching out to God. There was something there. So I went back on my own again and again. And one day I answered the altar call and I was in, in an instant saved by the grace of God. I wish I could tell you everything was great from this point on. It wasn't, as I continued to make mistakes because Jesus was not out in front being my Lord of my being Lord of my life. I was keeping Jesus on a shelf just close enough. If I needed him, I could call on him. I didn't grow in the Lord, but he was faith, faithful to me, however, as I prospered with a growing business, two beautiful daughters and a good wife. But sadly, you see, I let the devil tell me I was a good person. Yes, I wasn't doing any of the things I did before I got saved, but was coasting in my walk, and I believed I was all good with God. The reality, however, was that the resurrected spirit of Jesus wasn't living in me. Because of this, on a beautiful spring day in 2017, I was driving along and got into a road rage situation. I became angry. I got arrested and charged with two felonies. I was in big trouble. I went for sentencing and I received six months in the Kent County Correctional Facility. Again, I believe God's faithfulness shined on me as I was placed in a unit that they call, they had dubbed the God Pod. Yes, the God Pod. I thought it was a couple guys sitting around talking about God, but it was much more. As in this unit, you actually got out of your cell and you took classes for about five hours a day. It was like being in Bible school full time. The chaplains there, some had been in prison, some for many years gave me a foundation based in God's word, anchored in God's love, mercy, and grace. Brothers and sisters, I was changed in the God pod as I came to see that, as Ephesians 1.4 tells us, that I was chosen before the foundation of earth was laid to be adopted as his son 
through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. This is mind-blowing. Just think, me, John McCleary, the kid slow in school, the kid abused, the high school dropout, the convict, is loved by the God of the universe who wants communion with me. I still admit at times it's hard to accept, but the truth of God's word is that he loved me and made a way for me through the death, burial, and resurrection of his one and only son so that my past no longer defines me. In Jesus Christ, all the old is gone and the new has come. I am not that troubled, abused partier. I am John McCleary, a child of God, and yesterday is God because he lives. crucified on the cross. And Jesus gathered his 12 disciples around him. He had them huddle up around him almost like a quarterback giving his football team the next play. And Jesus looks at his 12 disciples in the eye and he whispers the following words. In this world, you will face trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Just prior to Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus uttered the words of John 16, 33. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. King Jesus was preparing his disciples that day for the hardship that would come. He went on in John 16 to explain to those disciples that he was going to die, that he would be raised from the dead, and that he would go to be with God the Father in heaven. The troubling part is, Jesus said, I'm going to be away from you. And the disciples understood that. Jesus described this in-between time, this in-between time of Jesus dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, ascending to heaven. Yet, before he comes again to judge the living and the dead, before he comes to make all things right, in that day, he wanted to make something abundantly clear to his disciples. 
in this in-between time, you will experience trouble. You will experience heartache. You will experience persecution. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I find it interesting because Jesus is preparing these disciples for so much troubling news, so much trouble ahead. They'd be persecuted for following Jesus. They would be separated from their families. These disciples would be arrested. These disciples, many of them would be killed for their faith. But again, what did Jesus whisper to them? Take heart. Take heart. I've overcome the world. In the scriptures, John 16, Jesus commands them, don't be in despair. Don't become weak. Don't rebuke your faith. Run to me. Take heart. The Greek imperative, Jesus is saying, commanding them, take heart, be courageous. And why were they to be courageous? Because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Some of you here today, <laughs> you might be sitting back in your pew a little skeptical saying, Greg, how in the world could have Jesus overcome the world? Look at there's so much pain. There's so much suffering. There's so much hurt. There's so much persecution happening. How can Jesus truly have overcome the world? But Orchard Hill today, on Easter Sunday, I can confidently stand on this platform and declare to you that Jesus Christ has overcome the world because he has overcome the grave. Jesus Christ has overcome the world and he has proven that because he has overcome the grave. Jesus is not dead in the tomb. Jesus' body is not rotten. It has been raised from the dead and he has ascended into heaven and he is with God the Father Almighty. Complete control. He is completely sovereign over all things. He is reigning over all things. And that I believe is a truth that so many of us here this morning need to hear as we face our todays, as we face our present realities. You know, there's something that I often see in the church today. It's a certain trend, and the trend is this. When life is going well, when there are no troubles, when there is no hardship, as we say in church sometimes, when it's 75 degrees and sunny, it's easy to trust God. It's easy to place your faith in Jesus. It's easy to say, you know what, Jesus, you probably did overcome the world. It's almost like on these 75 degree and sunny days in our lives, we can look into the crystal clear blue skies and see God himself seated on the throne. It's easy to believe he's in control. Yet, when the storms of life come, when the troubles and the persecutions and the sufferings come, when the storm clouds of life begin to hover over us, it's almost as if those dark storm clouds block our vision of God on the throne. It's almost as if we sit back and say, is God on the throne? Is he in control? Has Jesus overcome the world? And again, on the days that we feel like that Orchard Hill, let's be reminded of the words of Jesus. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world. Lord, you know, you and I too live in this in-between time. Troubles will surround us, right? Loved ones die. 
We deal with broken bodies, broken marriages, broken relationships. We deal with so much trouble. We deal with mental health and anxiety. We deal with physical health issues, financial problems, car problems. We deal with job losses and miscarriages. We fight temptation. We fight sin. We experience persecution, right? Life is hard. But on this Easter Sunday, again, let us embrace the good news of Jesus and the command of Jesus. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, because Jesus lives, you and I can face today. Because Jesus lives, you and I can face the troubles of today. And so as your health begins to fail, don't be in despair. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world, he's overcome the grave, and he sits on the throne above everything. As your child begins to walk away from the faith that you have prayed and prayed and prayed for them to possess, don't be in despair. Pray for them, but take heart. Be courageous because Jesus has overcome the world, he's overcome the grave, and is sovereignly seated on the throne. As you lose your job, don't be in despair. Take courage. Jesus has overcome the world, he's overcome the grave, and is sovereignly seated on the throne in heaven. As you suffer and fight temptation or maybe persecution for following Jesus, again, don't be in despair. Take courage because Jesus is seated on the throne. Because Jesus lives, you can face today. And because Jesus lives, you can face the troubles of today. But this time I want to invite up a dear friend of my wife and I, uh, Corey Taylor. She is somebody who over the past decade has experienced trouble after trouble after trouble, yet she is someone who has placed her faith in Jesus and, in my opinion, has truly embraced the truth that Jesus has risen. So, Corey, we'd love to hear your story. Thank you, Greg. Today. Today looks like starting my day on my hands and knees out of reverence and submission to God, saying thank you for this day. Today looks like spending dedicated time reading God's word and in prayer. Today looks like serving and giving generously in all that God has given me. Don't get me wrong, I'm certainly not perfect. But today hasn't always looked this way. In my first year of college, I met the man of my dreams, or so I thought. You could say he checked all the boxes, including being a Christian. He served as a small group leader for a kids' ministry, would often quote scripture. After graduating college, we got married, and two years later, he had filed for divorce. No matter what I did or didn't do, he was set in his ways. The only answers I could get from him were, I just want to be single, and I never loved you. I was left with so many questions and so many emotions. Rejection, guilt, fear, pride, shame. The only thing louder than I never loved you was God's word. God's word tells us the greatest love story of all time. 
God's word says, I love you. Just look at the cross. Look at the cross and see how much I love you. I died for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love you. I didn't understand how God could use this for good. Divorce wasn't in God's good design. It was a deciding moment in my life. I could either abandon the faith like my husband had, or I could make a decision to face today. I could put my trust in something far greater than myself and far greater than this world. I was told to stop questioning God's plans, but instead seek his presence. I don't think I fully grasped what that even meant at the time, but little by little, I stopped questioning why the divorce had happened and started seeking God like I never had before. In time, my life became more about what God desired instead of what I had planned. I constantly remind myself that my identity is not found in a relationship, but in who God says that I am. God's love inspires heart transformation. God had forgiven me for so much that I wanted to freely give back to him. But the trials and tribulations continue to come when we surrender our days to God. We aren't promised a comfortable life. As much as I wish I didn't have to suffer, I can also find peace and joy in the suffering because it has been through these difficult times that God has refined and strengthened my faith. A couple of years later, my parents called me as they watched their home, my, their house, my childhood home, burn to the ground. In the blink of an eye, so many of our material possessions were gone. And yet, amidst the heartache of what was once there, we could still have peace because the things of this life are just temporary. That was just our temporary home. We are looking forward to a far better home in heaven. Later that year, my dad was struggling to breathe. And after weeks of misdiagnosis, he was eventually told that he had a cancerous mass growing around his heart, and it was growing rapidly. At first, he was told that he had two options. He could have a heart transplant or he would die. About a week later, the doctors decided to start him on chemo in order to hopefully shrink the mass. And after one round of chemo, the cancer was completely gone. The doctors had never seen anything like it. But God had answered the prayers of so many of our friends and family. My dad continued with chemo and radiation and has now been in remission for about five years. And just a few months ago, my mom, a non-smoker, was diagnosed with lung cancer that metastasized to the brain. She underwent brain surgery, full brain radiation, and is now going through chemo. We're still praying for God to work a miracle. We all have our trials and our tribulations. Today isn't about me. It's not about me and what I have to overcome, but it's about how Jesus lives. Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
And just before that, Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. I don't have peace when I look at this world. I don't have peace when I look at my trials and my shortcomings and my failures and my sin. But when I look to the cross, when I look to the cross, then I can have peace. When I look to the cross, I see that Jesus overcame death. He overcame my sin. He overcame the struggles of this world so that I can have eternal life and so that I can have peace in this life. Jesus surrendered his life for me. And so now I can surrender daily to him. Today is not always easy. Today is not always enjoyable. But take heart, my friends. Be courageous because he lives. We can face today. We can face this world. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. we forget about one significant factor. 
And that's that Jesus Christ is risen. That Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, came into this world and faced the ultimate what-if, worst-case scenario on our behalf. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was abandoned by his friends. He was forsaken by God. He was tortured. He faced death. And like Bob said, the sealed tomb. He faced the grave and he went to hell itself. But friends, we are resurrection people. We are Easter people. And because of that, we know he did not stay there. The ultimate worst case, what if future scenario that our God looked in the face for us and took on could not overcome him, could it? He did not stay in hell. He did not stay in the tomb. That tomb burst open. Jesus Christ looked the ultimate what if in the face and he overcame it in victory. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh death, is your victory? Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I hold the keys to death and to Hades, right? This is who our God is, the ultimate overcomer of the absolute worst case scenarios. So when we think about tomorrow and we're tempted to sit in our mental prisons of worry and anxiety and despair, brothers and sisters, my anxious friends, don't you worry about tomorrow because the God that left the throne of heaven to come and face the ultimate worst case scenario on your behalf is not going to leave you now in the dust. He's not going to leave you without love. He's not going to abandon you to that what-if future. Instead, he promises in his very last words to his disciples before his ascension, I will never leave you. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we have no need to worry about tomorrow because Jesus Christ is not in that grave anymore. Paul puts it like this. In Romans, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are secured in the hand of God, in the one who overcame, and the one who promises to overcome. And we are secured in the fact that as his people, we have that resurrection power and the love that drove him to the cross fighting for us and on our side. So nothing that we face tomorrow can overcome when we are in the resurrection, overcoming power of Jesus Christ. And the good news is one day, all the unknowns of the future get a lot less murky. One day, Jesus Christ has made the promise that this is what life would look like. And Revelation says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Not only do we have his promise of resurrection power now, but in the days to come, we are promised that we will overcome, we will be made perfect, and there will be no more what-ifs, no more pain, no more suffering. The future's no longer murky, brothers and sisters. It's clear. It is life and life everlasting in the glorious presence of our God. So with this promise of the future, we don't need to look to tomorrow with anxiety, do we? We don't look with fear or trembling. Instead, we look with confidence and hope at the Almighty God who sits on the throne and says, Behold, I am making all things new. He has already told us what's going to come. In John 14, Jesus says, Because I live, you will live too. Brothers and sisters, come what may, past, present, or future, for those of us who are in Christ, because he lives, we will live too. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Amen? Amen. I want to invite my good friend Phyllis Russell to come forward. She knows a little bit of something of anxiety and the unknowns of the future. And Phyllis is going to share her testimony with us this morning. Thank you. I have multiple sclerosis, commonly called MS. It is a neurological disorder affecting the nerve networks in the brain and spinal cord. I think of it as the great unknown disease. It is unknown what causes someone to develop MS. It is unknown how to cure MS. It is unknown how MS will affect an individual, except everyone with MS reacts in their own unique way. It is unknown how MS will progress except the guarantee that all progression will be in the downward direction. Being diagnosed with MS dramatically changed my life. After more than 30 years working in the same law firm in Chicago, I lost my job. Since my apartment was a perk of the job, I lost my housing. And at age 55, moved into my parents' basement here in Grand Rapids. The future I had planned on was suddenly changed and I didn't know what was coming next. However, I will tell you without hesitation that the turn my life has taken is so much better than anything I was ever going to have following the path I was on. Jesus used that diagnosis to radically change how I live. Because everything is now unknown, I gave up trying to control the path of my life and turned it over to him. He is in charge, and he has proved over and over that he will fill my remaining life with good things. Because he lives, grace encircles me, covering every sin and healing all the broken pieces. Because he lives, I am filled with joy, deep, down, soul-surrounding, holding-on-tight joy. Because he lives, peace is settled in my soul, and so whatever my lot, it is well with my soul. Whatever lies ahead in my future, 
it will be well with my soul. MS has many different stages that it progresses through. I am now considered secondary progressive, which is a fancy name for the end stage of MS. At its worst, MS might eventually leave me unable to voluntarily move and unable to speak. If that day comes when I have lost my voice, can no longer control my hands and feet, remember this and only this, what remains locked inside of me is grace and joy and peace, gifts from my good God. During a time of reflection at the women's retreat last month, I was led to Paul's words of reassurance in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all can bear. Because Christ rose, my eternal future will be one of a whole and healthy self. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen.